you have a copy of God's Word this morning, look with us to our text found in the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians chapter 1. As we continue a series entitled Growing in Faith. Book of Colossians chapter 1. We'll begin reading with verse 9. The series, the whole series is going to be based on, on Colossians chapter 1. As Paul is writing to this church at Colossae. And they have a problem, that is, they're false teachers in the church. And the false teachers are really saying, you don't need Christ alone, you need something else. And they kept adding things to Christ. And so Paul is writing this letter to say, no, all you need is Christ. Christ is sufficient. And so the whole book is about that. And so in this passage, this text we're going to look at this morning, is a prayer that Paul is praying for the people, the Christians at Colossae. And in this prayer, he talks to us about how to grow in Christ. And so as you're looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, let me, let me tell you, that I'm going to give you a lot of information this morning. Because this is one of those incredible passages that almost every single word has meaning. And so we're going to really get uh, uh, deep in this, this passage. And so just be aware, a lot of information is coming your way as we examine this passage. Verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Pray with me. Father, today as we look at this passage, Father, as we examine it, I ask you to help us to understand it and to apply it. Help us, Father, that we will understand it, embed it in our hearts and minds, and let us live it out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ulysses S. Grant was the first U.S. president to publicly play golf, and it didn't go well. He was visiting Great Britain at the time, and they introduced him to the game of golf. Now, he had heard about it, but he had never played it, and they asked him, do you want to play around?" Now, he'd never played before. He said, I would love to, and so they showed him how to hit the ball, and so the first time he stood there he took four or five swings at the ball and missed every time as hard as he could each time swinging hard hard just trying to hit the ball and missed four or five times and he finally just gave the club back to the man he said you know I've always understood the game of golf was a great outdoor exercise and good for the arms and shoulders but I really don't understand the purpose of the ball in the game He missed the ball. Okay. Because he missed the ball, the purpose, you see, the purpose is to hit the ball. Okay. Right now, millions of people online are laughing. <laughs> or not. <laughs> you know, sometimes I, we, we feel the same way that what's the purpose? What's the purpose? We go through life, and we're so busy at the end of the day, we look back at our life and say, what is the purpose? 
We use a lot of energy. We're not getting anywhere. What's the purpose? We're trying to work hard in the Christian life, and it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere in the Christian walk. What's the purpose? The problem is, in the United States, and many polls I've seen, when people ask, you know, describe your life, the number one answer in many of the polls is, I'm empty. Something's missing. The sad part is that for many Christians, they're saying the same thing. Now, think about this. They've accepted Christ, and they're trying to live the Christ-centered life, and yet they're coming up empty. In other words, what they're saying is, we have no power, we have no energy to live this life. In fact, their lives look the same as the world. And so when the world looks at these Christians, they don't see a difference. And so that's why the world is asking us as Christians, what's the point? What's the point of this? We don't see love. We don't see joy. We don't see peace in your life. You talk about it, but I don't see it. And so we're having this problem in our world today, but it's the same problem that Paul had in his world because here are these Christians in Colossae saying, we don't have power. And there's a group coming in saying, look, you need something extra. You need to add something to Christ. And it's really confusing because they thought, I thought Christ was all I needed. I thought Christ was sufficient, but I don't see it in my life. And so this text, Paul is giving a prayer. There's a prayer that he and Timothy prays for the people at Colossae, the Christians there. And in this prayer, as he is praying for them, he shows us the four ways we grow in Christ. Four ways we grow in Christ that we need to hold on to. This is a prayer, really, I encourage you to read every day for a while. So you can understand how and the ways we grow in Christ. Number one, if we're going to grow in Christ, we need to be filled with the wisdom of God. Be filled with the wisdom of God. Verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, first I want you to understand that word filled, very special word in the Greek language. It means to fill a cup that is empty. In other words, if the cup is half full, that word doesn't apply. Paul uses a word that says, you need to be filled with wisdom, but there can be nothing in your life. In other words, what's happening, people are trying to put in their life worldly wisdom, worldly philosophies, and then trying to put Christ on top of it, and it doesn't work. If you're going to have spiritual wisdom, you have to come to Christ empty to say, I'm not adding anything to your word. I'm not adding anything to what you're telling me. And Paul is saying, I want you to be filled with the wisdom. You can't have anything in there because you have anything in there. It's not going to work. To receive the wisdom of God in our lives, we need to empty ourselves, to let go of the world thoughts and embrace Christ. But notice the opposite is true also. If you are filled with the wisdom of God, you have no room for the false testimonies of the false doctrines. If you are filled with the wisdom of God and false doctrine comes into your world, you're going to know it. If you want to be immune to the false doctrines of the world, then you need to be filled with the wisdom of God. That's what he's saying. In Colossae, you have these false teachers trying to teach false doctrine. And Paul is saying, look, if you are filled with the wisdom of God, you won't fall into their traps. But also that word filled means to be controlled by. That's the meaning of it. So if somebody's filled with alcohol, they're controlled by alcohol. If you're filled with anger, you're controlled by anger. Later on, Paul's going to say, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Here he is saying, you need to be filled with wisdom. In other words, wisdom needs to control your life. 
Every decision you make, every day should be filled with wisdom. You don't just take wisdom off the, sh- the shelf when you need it. You don't say, well, you know, I need wisdom for this, I, this project. Well, I don't need it anymore. I put it back. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you're going to be controlled by this wisdom. If you are going to grow in Christ, you have to be filled with this wisdom. It's going to control you. But notice how he breaks it down. Verse 9. He said, we, be, we begin by being filled with the knowledge of his will. We ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Literally in the Greek language, it says full knowledge of his will. This is what Paul is saying. First, you need to be filled with the knowledge of God. You need to know as much about God as you possibly can. Your mind needs to be filled with the knowledge of God's Word and God Himself. That's where you start. Without that, you're not going to have the spiritual wisdom. Be filled with the knowledge. Then secondly, after that, be filled with the spiritual wisdom. That's what he's saying. Be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom. The word wisdom, Sophia, it means taking facts and applying it practically. See, you can know a bunch of facts and not have wisdom. You can have knowledge and not have wisdom. Paul is saying you begin with having the knowledge, the facts, then you take that and apply it in a practical way. Now, we do not stop at getting knowledge, but knowledge is never the answer. Wisdom is the answer, but you can't get wisdom until you get the knowledge. See the difference? You you can learn a lot of Bible facts, and you can win every Bible trivia out there and not have any biblical wisdom, spiritual wisdom. But you got to know the facts first. That's why the Bible study is so important, why life groups are so important. You learn the facts, then you begin to apply it in your life in a practical way, and that's wisdom. Be filled with knowledge. Be filled with wisdom. And then finally, he says, be filled with a spiritual understanding. Again, the end of verse 9. This understanding, what is he talking about? The word understanding there literally means to to have a clear analysis in decision-making. A clear analysis and decision-making. Here's what Paul is saying. You're going to be filled with wisdom so that every decision in life you're going to make, you're going to base it upon this wisdom. There's a clear analysis of it. So you begin with the knowledge, the facts. Then you're going to learn how to apply the knowledge. That's called wisdom. But the understanding is when you apply that wisdom in the real world. Now, through the Bible, it tells us to do this, that we are to apply the wisdom. For example, book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, James says, be doers and not just hearers of the word. Now, that word here in, in verse 22 is the word auditor. I don't know if you've ever audited a class. In college, you can audit classes. And what that means is you take the class, you don't get credit, you don't take the test, you, know, you don't write the papers, you, you just show up totally relaxed. I audited a class once in college. And, uh, and the, the reason I audited it was Eileen, my wife, was taking the class too. And I, I didn't want to embarrass her. Okay, you know that's not true. I knew she was going to make a better grade than me. So, why, why have an argument? So, I audited the class. So, she's in the class. She's taking notes. She's studying. I come in with a cup of coffee. Got that? After class, I go somewhere else. She's studying. 
There's no pressure on me because I'm not going to be tested on this. There's no papers for me to do. All I have to do is just come and listen. That's a hear of the word. By the way, we have a lot of auditors in churches today, don't we? They come to church, they walk in, they hear, and they leave with no intention of ever changing. Paul says we need this understanding. So what does this look like in the real world? Let's look at two things. Two questions. Number one, what do you know about God? What do you know about God? I, I did not ask, what do you think about God? Those are two different questions. There's two different questions. I'm amazed how many times I, I, I'll, I'll hear people say this or, or, or watch somebody on TikTok say, no, this is what I think about God. I, I don't think God would do this. I don't think God would do this. Uh, you know, when you say that, you are equating yourself with God. Do you realize how arrogant that is? You have made yourself God when you say, I don't think God would do this because I am as smart as God. I don't think God would create hell. I don't think God would judge someone. I don't think God would forgive that person. I don't think God would mind if I put him in second place next to my family. I mean, the idea to say, I don't think God, whatever, that's not the question. The question is, what do you know about God? And we know what God says about himself in the Bible. That's why we need to know the word. The second question is, how much of that knowledge do you put in practice? So how much do I know about God? Now, how much of that am I putting in practice? Because if you're not putting it in practice, it's doing you no good. What do you know about God, and how does that affect your life? You see, everything you know about God should affect every area of your life. Your finances, your social life, your recreational life. What you know about God should make a difference in your life. So, we know that we are to love one another, so do we love one another? We know that we are to forgive one another, are we forgiving one another? We know we're supposed to read his word, are we reading his word? We know we're supposed to share our faith, are we sharing our faith? So, you ask those two questions, and that will give you an understanding of your spiritual wisdom. So, Paul says, be filled with wisdom. Then he said, be consistent in your walk with God. Be consistent in your walk with God. Verse 10, so that... Again, he's talking about because you have spiritual wisdom, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul connects those two things. If you have spiritual wisdom, you get that in order that you will walk in a worthy manner of the Lord. Now, the word walk in the Bible simply means how you live. Literally, it means walking around daily. That's what it means. To walk daily. But Paul says that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That word worthy is the word we get balance from. means having weight or value, but means being balanced. What Paul is saying, when you have the spiritual wisdom of God, your life will be balanced from what you say and what you do. Have you seen somebody carry one suitcase? They're off balance, get two suitcases. Why do they get two suitcases? Because they want to be balanced. Paul says your spiritual wisdom will give you balance in your life because now what you say and what you do will line up. And Paul talks about this throughout his, all his letters. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Walk worthy of God who called you into his kingdom and glory. Your life should show Jesus that you are a child of the king. This past week during the NFL draft, there something really took place a few years ago. A lot of the players are being drafted or wearing very expensive suits and, and that really, we've kind of seen that in basketball, NBA basketball. But you know who started all that? The person who really started all this was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls. 
when Michael Jordan was drafted, many of the players, when they came to a game, they were just wearing their workout gear. But here comes Michael Jordan. He was wearing a tailored-made suit. And people started talking about this player dressing up in this nice, well-made, tailor-made suit. Michael even told the other players, I want you to wear suits going to the game. And this is what he told the players. You need to walk like you're worth the millions they pay you. And let everyone know who you are when you come to the game. Let everyone know who you are when you come to the game. Well, Paul is saying everyone should know who you are as you're walking daily. How does this be demonstrated? Well, he tells us. He breaks it down again. He says that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him. That's the first thing. At the end of every day, you should ask, have I pleased you, God? Is there something in my life I have not pleased you? And if the answer is yes, there's something I haven't pleased, you need to work on that. Secondly, he says to bear fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work. Paul says if you're going to walk worthy in God, you're going to bear fruit. Now, in the Bible, bearing fruit means winning people to Christ. We, We know that. Paul writes about that in the book of Romans. It also means the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Also, the Bible uses the word fruit to describe good works in God's name. But here's what Paul is saying. If you're walking worthy, you're going to be bearing fruit. Your life is going to be demonstrating fruit in your life. You know, if you see a tree, you look at the fruit of the tree, you know what kind of tree it is. Well, if we were trees... Would there be enough fruit on our limbs for people to look and see that we're a follower of Jesus? Paul says that we need to have this this pleasing him. We need to bear fruit. But then also he says, increase your knowledge of God. End of verse 10. Well, we've just come full, full circle. You see what Paul is doing? Paul is saying you begin with knowledge of God to get wisdom, and if you do that, you're going to get more knowledge of God. You never arrive spiritually. We're always learning more and more and more and applying it to our lives. Paul says, be filled with wisdom. Be consistent in your walk. And third, be aware of spiritual power. Be aware of spiritual power. In verse 11, he's going to use the word power, but he's going to use different words. But he says it over and over. He says, strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of steadfastness and patience, joyously thanksgiving. Paul says, same word, different types. He says this, as Christians, you have spiritual power. You have supernatural resources. If you want to grow in Christ, you need to be aware of the spiritual power available to you. And Paul does this through all his letters. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, where he says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of, the might, of, the Lord, uh, of his might. Uh, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Over and over, Paul talks about the spiritual strength. Now, the two words he uses are different. The first word in verse 11 is the word power, dunamis. That means potential power. And we get the word dynamite from that. You know, a, a stick of dynamite has potential power to blow up but the other word is the word power and that uh, the word might and that is the word kratos and that means power in action so here's what paul is saying as a believer you have potential power to be used at any time you need it but also you have power that you're using daily and is being demonstrated to the people around you it is a word saying that we have a power so how does this power exemplify in our lives well paul tells us (laughs) Look at verse 11. He said, when you have this supernatural power, first of all, you have steadfastness. Some translations might use the word endurance. It's the idea of carrying a weight on your shoulders. 
is carrying something very heavy and you're taking step by step by step and step and you're not giving up. You have the endurance, the steadfastness to continue. Paul says in your life, when the world weight is pressing on you, only through the supernatural power of God can you keep moving. Not only that, he says you get patience. Now this patient, this word only applies to people. It's not patient about things, it's patient toward people. It's the idea that you don't retaliate. It's a virtue of, of whatever trials or tribulation you come, you have patience with people. You know, we, we talk about David and Goliath. And we always talk about the power of David that God gave him to kill a giant. I think there's another story in David's life that demonstrates more power. That's after he became king. David became king. His son Absalom wanted to take over. And David left. He took his army away. He didn't want to fight his son. And as they're traveling out, this, this man named Shammai saw David and starts yelling at him and insulting him, saying, you know, God's repaying for you for all the blood you've shed. He started throwing dirt and rocks at the king. And David, one of his soldiers, Abishai, said, do you want me to go cut off his head? There's an option? Yeah. David had the authority. He was a king. He could do whatever he wanted. And David said in 2 Samuel chapter 16, he said, leave him alone. Let him curse. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good from the cursing I'm receiving today. I submit to you, there is more spiritual power in that moment saying, let's not do anything to this man than fighting a giant. This man is insulting David, throwing rocks, throwing dirt at him, embarrassing him in front of all people. And David says, nope, it's okay. I put it in God's hands. Paul says, when you have the supernatural power, you have patience toward people. And the last word is the word joy in, in verse 11. When you have the supernatural power, you have joy. I mean, Jesus said, I have told you these things that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, he didn't say happiness. Joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is what's around you influences you. Joy is something within you. So your air conditioner at your house has two, probably two numbers. One number is the, is the temperature, the thermometer. All it's telling you is the temperature in the room. It's just, this is the way it is. That's happiness. The other is the, th the thermostat. You choose what you're going to place it on, and you change your environment. That's joy. So happiness is just what's happening around you, and that causes happiness. But the Bible never promises happiness. The Bible promises us joy. Now, would you notice something about this? Paul is saying... It takes a power beyond us to have endurance in this world. It takes a power beyond us to have patience with others. It takes a power beyond us to have joy. Paul says you need this supernatural power to live. We need to be so powerful that every morning we get up, the demons should say, oh, no, they're up. That's how much power we should have. Be filled with wisdom. Be consistent in your walk. Be aware of spiritual power. And then finally, be focused with thanksgiving. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance. Did you notice something, what Paul just did? From 9-11, he's talking to you, 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 you. In verse 12, he's talking about us. It's almost as if Paul is writing and he thinks, you know, about giving thanks. He said, I got so much to be thankful for. If you want to grow in Christ, you got to learn to be thankful. 
Thankfulness is not just some happy feeling that just comes upon us. Thankfulness is a discipline that we control. Thankfulness is something we initiate. And Paul says, I can tell you how to be thankful. Look what he says. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share the inheritance. That word qualified means to uh, give authorization to someone. The idea of giving someone a ticket. Years ago, someone gave me a ticket to go see the uh, Nashville Predators. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't pay for it. They just gave me a gift. I went to Nashville. I had this ticket. You know, I went up the counter. I didn't tell the guy, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you how I got there. He didn't answer that. I didn't say, let, let me tell you the background. I didn't do that. I, I didn't tell him, let me tell you who gave it to me. I, didn't t- I just, here's the ticket. He said, that's all you need. Paul says, if you want to be thankful, realize you're qualified. Not because of anything you did to earn it or deserve it, but because Jesus Christ came and he died for you. And because he died for you, you gave your life to him. And you're qualified to go to heaven. You see, some of you may think this morning, well, I have nothing to be thankful for. Paul would say, no, you do. You start with being thankful for what Jesus Christ did for you. And if you start there, you'll find a lot of other things to be thankful for. A few years ago, BBC reported a wealthy man had a luxury boat, a yacht, and he'd been out in the floating in the harbor, the Swedish harbor, for about two years. And so they tracked down the owner. The boat was worth $108,000. And he told the authorities that he was going to sell the boat two years ago, but I forgot. I forgot? $108,000 boat and you forgot? You know, I read that story and I wonder, maybe there's a dynamic for us as believers that we forget our inheritance that we forget the power that's available to us to live a supernatural life. That we forget what God has done for us. And we go about our life without power and empty. The Bible says you can grow in Christ, be filled with wisdom, be consistent in your walk, be aware of your power, spiritual strength, and be focused on your thanksgiving. And you will grow. If you're here this morning, maybe you're a believer and you realize that doesn't describe me. It could, it should. I challenge you to read this this prayer every day this week, asking God, help me to do this. You may be here this morning and you're not a believer. You've never given your life to Christ. Well, we encourage you to do so today. If you're watching online, just text the word today at 270-398-5005. And a minister will give you a call and talk to you about your decision. But if you're here this morning and you'd like to give your life to Christ by admitting you're a sinner, believing that Christ died for you, rose on the third day, and by confessing that you give him everything. As we begin singing, just come to the front, talk to one of the ministers. Or maybe there's another decision. Maybe you want to join this church. Maybe you're being called to the mission field. Maybe you're called to be a minister. Whatever decision you need to make, we ask that you make it today. Would you stand as we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this prayer that Paul gave as a reminder of how to grow. As a reminder, Father, that we do not have to live a defeated life as a believer. I pray, Father, this will become real to us. That, Father, all the believers 
will understand what's available to them and not forget that, Father, we may have the power to live this life, to be thankful, to be joyful, to have endurance, to have patience toward people. And it begins, Father, with our belief in you and your word. Now, Father, we pray that during this time of invitation, speak to us and help us, Father, make decisions we need to make. In Jesus' name, amen.